Hello there, this is Dr. Alan Hedberg, and this is the Psychology Report. Today I'd like to talk about an addiction that we often exclude from our list of addictions uh, because it's not real common, but that it's very powerful. And when it affects the lives of people, it's a driving force in their life and controls them. That's wealth addiction. Wealth addiction. You know, in the field of addiction, uh, about 40 million people are addicted to cigarettes. About 17 million are addicted to alcohol and 7 million addicted to other kinds of drugs. Now, cigarettes and alcohol are drugs just as marijuana and other kind of illegal drugs, but they're all drugs. So that's about uh, 50, 60,000, 60 million people addicted to drugs of some kind. 60 million. Well, then you have those that are addicted to video games and to gambling and to shopping and to pornography and overeating and, and so on and so on we go. And the issue of, of addiction is just this, something that drives the individual to seek pleasure. When you smoke or when you take a drug or you drink alcohol or whatever it might be, dopamine is released into the system, into your body, from your brain, and produces a sense of pleasure. Well, after a very short period of time, that pleasure begins to dull. So what you then have to do is to have more of that particular item or object or that particular uh, activity to produce that same level of pleasure. Well, then after a short period of time, that level of pleasure is dulled, and now your brain isn't experiencing pleasure. So you have to have more of that particular event or item or object. And then more. And it's a growing process. That's what addiction is is that when your brain dulls, you have to have more of it. To the point you come to when the brain dulls and will never reproduce, will never allow dopamine to be released. It just, what we sometimes refer to as fried. The brain is fried. It doesn't produce dopamine. It doesn't produce a sense of pleasure. And you're in this eternal state of dullness. And it's like being alive but dead. Now, that's addiction. That's the end result of addiction. Pornography gets you there in the same way that alcohol gets you there. But here's a new one. Wealth addiction. That gets you there as well. There's a common phrase or a little joke that goes like this. What does a millionaire want? He wants another million. And then another million. And then another. And then it's two million. And then it's three million. And before you know it, there's an endless search for wealth and for money to the point that it becomes an obsession. It becomes a total uh, obsession of your life. So your life is built upon the accumulation of money, not the value of it or the pleasure that comes from it. It's just the accumulation. And so pleasure comes from the accumulation, not from the use of it. Now, money has its own problems. Wealth has its own problems. My father used to say very commonly, you know, he was a banker and he was lower middle class in a lot of ways. He uh, sold insurance and uh, did that for a while and then became the director of an uh, organization that uh, took care of children around the world in orphanages and schools and homes and anybody that was kind of an orphan 
uh, in many, many different countries of the world. He raised money and gave direction to that particular organization. So he didn't have a lot of wealth. But what he said was, it was profound. And I always remembered it. Poor people have money. Wealthy people have money and problems. And I'll tell you, there's some real truth to that. Because the more wealth you have, the more the problems you have to manage that wealth and to deal with that wealth. Tax problems, government problems, problems with other people who are wanting your money, people who pursue you for gifts and donations and so on, and uh, investments that turn bad and investments that don't turn out as well as you thought they might, and investments that end up in court, you know, and so on and so on. Poor people have money, but wealthy people have money and problems. Forbes magazine, every year, produces a issue, an issue that focuses on the richest people in America. And this year, they focused on the 400 richest people in America. Now, you know how much money you have to have to get into that club? $1.7 billion. If you have that kind of money, you are welcomed into a club known as the richest people in America, and the Forbes magazine will list you. It might even feature you as part of the article. But they do that every year. That's what wealth is. See? But here's the question that you have to ask yourself. Do I really want to be part of that club? Now, maybe you're not going to have the opportunity to make $1.7 or $1.9 billion. But you have to ask the question, how much money do I need to accumulate? How much money do I need to drive myself to achieve and to acquire and accumulate? What is the degree of wealth that I have to uh, experience and possess? That's a question you have to ask. Because here is the issue of real, true wealth. True wealth is not measured by how much money you accumulate, how much money you make every year, how much money you've made over the past 10 years. That's not true wealth. That's not how we measure it. How you measure wealth is how much money you have distributed this year. How much money you have distributed over the past 10 years. How much money you have distributed over your lifetime. That's true wealth. Because that's where pleasure comes from. That's where joy, that's where satisfaction reigns. That's where happiness is. It's the giving that allows you to receive. The Bible talks about Blessed is the man who gives. <laughs> and you're going to get when you receive. It's better to give than to receive. So, I mean, there's, a, there's concepts here throughout history and throughout biblical writings and your own personal experience that your life is rich. Your life is enriched when you give, when you distribute money, not when you focus on the accumulation of money. One way to measure this is, a, is, a, is kind of a simple way. Just take a division. Take a ratio between how much money you make and keep as compared to how much money you give away. What's the ratio? Well, the Bible kind of gives a, a rule of thumb, if you will. It speaks about 10%. That's what people were to give to the church, so to speak. So there's kind of a rule of thumb there around 10%. My father, again, I'll come back to him. Gave 17% of his income. Didn't make a lot, but gave 17% of it. 
you know, to the church and to charitable organizations of a variety of kinds. How much money do you give? We hear a lot about the Clinton Foundation these days and all the money that they've accumulated, billions of dollars. You know how much money they give away? Six percent. Six percent. How much money do they keep? Ninety-four percent. That's kept for themselves and for their own uses of various kinds. That's illegal, basically. Because a foundation is written up in, in, in the law, in the code, that no money shall inure to a person. That means nobody shall have personal gain from a foundation or from a charitable organization. The monies given are for the purpose of the organization primarily, and then a small amount for the management or the administration of that organization. And the rule of thumb usually is 20% for administration, 80% for the purpose of the organization. The Clinton Foundation has it backwards. 6% goes out for the use. And maybe they do good things with that 6%. Nobody argues that. But it's only 6%. And 94% for their own personal use. They're gaining from that, by the way. And that's illegal, if anybody took a look at that. So, here we are. We're at this point about wealth addiction. Wealth distribution. Let me close by just referring to Mother Teresa. She's a good lady that has a lot to say about a lot of different things. And she has a lot to say about wealth, about wealth addiction, of all things. Probably one of the poorest ladies in the world, you say. And here's what she said. Everything that is not given is lost. Everything that is not given is lost. You can lose your soul by thinking of yourself as keeping things for yourself and being very selfish. Or you can give your soul away to other people. And as a result of that, derive pleasure, derive joy, derive satisfaction, and enrich your life in a variety of, of ways. Now let me return now to the Forbes magazine as they gave the article on the 400 richest people of America. And here's how they ended the article. They made this quote. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it is gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. And they quote from the Bible, it happened to be Luke 15, 9, indicating that, yeah, wealth is to be given away. But as a result of giving away, you get something in return. We call it friendship. And when the wealth is all gone, your friends are still there. And that's the objective of wealth addiction. Wealth addiction can be turned into something good when money is measured on the basis of how much is given away. But wealth addiction is bad when it's measured on the basis of how much I accumulate over time. It's not the accumulation, it's the distribution. I refer you to a good book on the topic entitled The Wealth Conundrum. The Wealth Conundrum. It's written by Ralph Dudera. So pick it up on Barnes & Noble or Amazon or whatever and have a good read. And there's another book that's really old. It's out of print perhaps, but you might check it out. Money Love. Money Love. So, thanks for joining me today. This has been The Psychology Report with Dr. Alan Hedberg. And I refer you to my book entitled uh, Good Things in Living, 
healthy living, achieving a healthy lifestyle in a world of stress. Money is part of that. How to manage it. How to manage your life, whether you have money or you don't. So, check my website out, booksbyhedberg.com. Booksbyhedberg.com. There's several books in there that might be of help and benefit uh, to you. So, uh, the one that particularly might be helpful to you is Living Life at Its Best. Living Life at Its Best. How to Develop an Emotionally Intelligent Life and you'll live better in your relationships with other people, whether in your home or in your workplace or wherever it might be. Living Life at Its Best. So, pick it up and uh, nice to have you with me today on the Psychology Report. And bye for now.